You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Question for you. How long have you lived at your present address? You know, it's called your permanent address. How long have you lived there? You know, we did this last night and then earlier this morning. Let's start at how many have lived there? Because I know this, because of the survey. You know that survey that you do once a year that just helps us as leaders so much? Well, we learned from it last year that, listen to this, 65% of our church family uh, were born in a nation other than Canada. So I know 65% of you have changed residences at least once. <laughs> but, but how many, it's been, uh, you've lived in the same residence, okay, I'm looking, for 70 years or more. Raise your hand. <laughs> 60. Oh, are you serious? You've lived at the same residence? No, you're teasing me. You, you're, you're messing with me. All right. Uh, where were we? 60? Over 60, over 50 years, same residence. Over 40, do I hear 40? 40? Yeah, okay, we got one for 30. Over 20? Look at that, okay, over 10 years. Now watch this, you see? Now, why do we call it permanent residence? It's the same thing for, listen, you know when you go to school, and I, I've heard it from some of our teens, especially in high school, you know, it's such a big deal, what am I gonna wear, and whom? is going to be watching me and what do they think of me? And you're only there for how many years? It's temporary. You know, your job, how many know your job is temporary? That may be good news. <laughs> may be bad news if it's your dream job. You know, whatever stage of life you're in right now, it's temporary, especially if you're over 90. You know what I'm saying? You don't even buy green bananas anymore. You know, it just, it's like that one man, he, um, he, he said, and it sounded so spiritual when he started, he said, you know, the, the, the older I get, wherever I go in my house, the more I think about the hereafter. And you're thinking, oh, what a spiritual, godly man thinking of heaven, you know? He says, yeah, everywhere, every room I go into, I wonder, now what am I hereafter? You know, like this, <laughs> this life is so temporary, where we live is temporary. Everything we do is so temporary. So I have good news for the follower of Jesus. Wherever we live now, <laughs> Jesus has gone to prepare us a permanent residence and we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. And so next time you're filling out a document though, you know, because some people take this so seriously and you're, fi you're filling out something official, uh, don't, when they say permanent residence, don't put down heaven, okay? <laughs> but Christians historically have responded two different ways to this reality that this life is temporary and we're gonna be at home in heaven with the Lord forever. They responded this way. Some say, well, you know, this world is just temporary, heaven is forever, therefore, so, heaven is all that matters. Then you have another group that sort of has a different response to the reality that this world is just temporary. They come to this conclusion, you only have one life here, so, give it your best shot now. 
And, and they both have views about this, sometimes strong views. You can go to different churches and find views that are one way or the other. Go back to the first one. Some that have this view that heaven is all that matters. And so let's just focus on the spiritual needs of people. Let's not worry about the physical. Doesn't the Bible teach that the world is going to pass away someday? Scientists tell us that it's, it has an, a terminal point. So why invest in this life, in this world now? And then you have have others who bring up the view that, you know, Christians should be on the front lines of stewarding the planet, you know, the weather and water and wildlife. We should be the champions and we should make sure that we leave the planet better and society better for the next generation. And they're into social justice causes. And so, and both turn to the Bible to back them up, right? The first view, heaven is all that matters. Don't, Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Store them up in heaven where they won't decay. They'll last forever. And then the other group comes along and says, no, no, no. God gave us the responsibility to be stewards of the planet. And while we are here, we are here to do good. We are here to feed the hungry and care for the poor. Stand up for injustice in the world. And, and you know, how many know even songs will tend to go one way or the other? Have you ever heard this song before? This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I see some of you tapping your toes, you know. I, I did that for Pastor Jonathan. He loves country music. So anyway, um, then you get others who say, well, you know, um, as they say in this song, that the, the world has beauty in it and, and, and God reveals himself through creation and she sings it this way. This is my I mean, like, that's your take on it. Like, this is my father's world. And so the, the, the two groups then start to, you're so heavenly minded, you don't do earthly good. And the other group says, you're so earthly minded, you're not doing any heavenly good. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Do we just say, well, it's okay to be different? <laughs> well, if that's what it means to be different, maybe not so much. We, this series that began with helping us understand that it's okay to be more than an animal, to give into your spirituality, to reach out to God. It's okay to be uh, part of God's ultimate rescue plan that he revealed to Abraham and continue it in the world. It's okay to, to be something more than you already are to fulfill the promises of God. It's okay to... Break the cray-cray cycle. Were you here last weekend? That was new to me. It is so neat to have a young lead pastor 
I learned so many things. I learned a whole new word. When pa- I was sitting there Saturday night, and Pastor Jonathan started to talk about breaking. I thought he said the gray, gray cycle, so I sat up and I listened. You know? <laughs> but in this series, we've tracked. Remember? We started, okay, God gave humans a spiritual capacity to have relationship with him. We broke it. But then he comes along with Abraham and he says, I'm going to ask you to partner with me in my ultimate rescue plan for the human race. And then time goes by and, uh, and knowing all, and, and then you come to um, Moses. But God's people that are supposed to be bringing the Messiah to the world are slaves for 400 years in Egypt until Moses and Joshua come along. And that's where Pastor Jonathan left us last weekend. And then you go, they get into the promised land and 300 years of judges and prophets, you know, stars like Samuel, Deborah, what an amazing godly leader she was, and um, Gideon. And uh, just uh, you get over, and then 1,200 years. I'll go off the platform if I, you know. But 1,200 years, they have these kings. Some of them are star kings that lead the people into their identity. You're the people of God, and you have a mission to bring the Messiah to the world. The Son of David has come. Some of them were were star kings like like David and Solomon and Josiah. Others, when they took the leadership, they brought the nation into a downward spiritual uh, spiral. You know, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, give the dog a bone, you know, all those guys. They just, just 1,200. And, and it reached the point where, guess where we're catching up this morning with the story? Guess where the people of God are? Listen to this now. 1,500 kilometers away from the promised land. They're in Babylon. They've been carried off into the Babylonian exile. They're now stuck over there in the Persian Empire. And don't forget, these are the people that God's going to bring into his land and reveal the Messiah to the world. They've got a job to do. They they need to know their identity as God's people. And they have a mission to reveal the Messiah for the rest of us. And yet here they are in exile. Now, how is going into exile going to fix their identity mission issues? Well, let's find out. Exile. What is an exile? Looked it up in the dictionary. Listen to this. A period of forced absence from one's country or home. An exile means you're not home. It's not your permanent residence. You are just there on a temporary basis. And the question on everybody's mind that's in exile then is, when are we going to go home? And their exile provides three perspectives for us because watch this now. We're here now, but our permanent residence is in heaven. So we're sort of, we can learn a lot from these people in exile while they're living in this temporary situation. Let's go to Jeremiah because he says something to them. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease there. Also, 
Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So how do Christians learn from these people in their temporary residence? Here we are in our temporary time on the planet before we go to our permanent residence. What can we learn from them? Here's the first thing. Leave every place better than when you arrived. You, you see them saying that. You know, look, at you're, you're there, but bless. Make the place prosperous where you are. Leave the place better than when you arrived. You know, this perspective is something that Esther and I have had as a prayer request to God for our lives for, for decades now. God, may every place we live, every neighborhood, every Every person I encounter today, it's part of my daily prayer, actually. May every person and circumstance I encounter today be better because I was there. I pray that every day. And so, but notice here, the words that we highlighted in that verse, God says, I have carried you into exile. Three times he says that in these verses. Three times. I have carried you into exile. Now, I have carried you. We like that part. That's a picture of a parent caringly carrying their child. Isn't it great to know God is carrying us? We don't like the next part, though. Where does he carry them? Into exile. What's that about? Listen, if you asked the residents, the Jewish residents in the Persian Empire during these 70 years, what was the worst experience of your life? They'd say, that's a no-brainer. Don't have to think about it. It was when we were carried from our home into exile. I want to go home. And that just says something. Let's just register something now that we'll pick up on the end of our teaching time and our prayer time. How many in this room, you're going, or you're watching online, you're going through your own personal exile experience right now. And it could be in your school situation, work, or your health. You're, you're going through it right now. Do, do you understand that <laughs> where is God even in the worst experiences? They'd say the exile was their worst experiences. Guess what God is doing? God is carrying them. God is carrying them. How many are thankful that God, even in our worst experiences, is, is not only aware of what we're going through, he's right there with us. He's carrying us. You know, I've said to you before, however low you go circumstantially or emotionally, watch this, underneath are the everlasting arms of your God. He's carrying you. We'll come back to that in our prayer time. We heard something about this in the cathedral. Wasn't that a great cathedral for those who were there a few weeks ago? Looking forward to the next one. But we read in dramatic readings and songs. It was just very powerful the, uh, the whole book of Ephesians, that short letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Ephesus in that first century. And, and he wrote them, he says, you know, I'm putting in my paraphrase, whether you're the boss or the employee, even if you're stuck in a servanthood job, which was the main employment system of the time, he says, he says God's eyes are on you. He sees your work and he himself will reward you. So work wholeheartedly as if serving the Lord and not a person. How many know he's saying, leave your workplace better than when you arrived? Did they take Paul's instructions seriously? A lot did. I, I love 
in university when I studied the first and second century Christians, uh, just, just learned so much of the simplicity and sincerity. They, they got little parts of the Bible, you know, a letter that Mark uh, took from Peter and sent that gospel out. Some had letters and parts of gospels, and they, they just took what Jesus taught so seriously. And I remember in my studies coming across the letter to Diognetus, written in 130 AD. So can you picture it? Jesus gone, next generation, doing what Jesus taught them to do, what the apostles led them into. And here, here's, he's, they were so curious about this Christian movement that was exploding in growth and trying to explain it to one another. And so he wrote to Diognetes in, in 130, and he says, For the Christians are distinguished from other men, not by their country, nor language, nor the customs which they observe. For they do not inhabit cities of their own, or employ a peculiar form of speech. But, inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities... They follow the customs of the natives in respect to clothing and food and the rest of their ordinary conduct, but they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. They marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and yet are persecuted by all. They are put to death, restored to life. They are insulted and they repay the insult with blessing. To sum it all up, what the soul is to the body that are Christians in this world. You know, you can just—they just—you can just see the teaching of Jesus all over that. You know, I, I love one of my favorite quotes from a former pastor in Toronto who's with the Lord now, A.W. Tozer. He wrote it this way: He says, "A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another." empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, has joy when he feels the worst, he dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes all understanding. No wonder they think we're different in this world. <laughs> and that's okay to be different, that being different means being like Jesus. Esther and I have tried to sincerely live by this in every neighborhood. I, I think we treasure uh, some of the comments and notes we get from former neighbors as much as we do from hearing from people in the church that uh, we've helped out along the way. Just to know we live for Jesus there. Helped families through, 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 through tough times. I've done a couple of funerals of, of neighbors of the place we lived in before um, moving into the condo. And, and uh, so, Esther, a couple of weeks ago, we have these new managers in our condo building. Esther went in just to welcome them and to say hi. As Esther walked in, the girl at the desk 
I guess she's sort of, you know, a gatekeeper. And, and she just sort of called out to the guy that Esther was going to meet. She says, these are good people. <laughs> Apparently we have bad people in our building. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, every time I hang up the phone from a, a camp that I've spoken at, they're asking me back, or a church I've pastored in that's asking me to return and, and, and serve and to, and to help them. I, I just say, oh God, I thank you that because of your grace, we've been able to leave the place better when we left and when we arrived and uh, reaching out to us again. Was it George Beverly Shea, the Canadian who sang with Billy Graham, who sang, if I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain. You know, just how many want to live a life before you go to be with Jesus, where every person and circumstance, to the best of your ability, and by God's grace, every person and circumstance you encounter, you leave it better than when you first arrived. Right on? That was a bit weak, but I think I got more for you. All right, second. Light up wherever you are because of whose you are. Because of whose you are. Listen, this Persian empire, this Babylon Babylonian Empire during these 70 years, it was a dangerous place to live for a believer in God. Do you ever hear about the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace? Some of you went to Sunday school too, or you've read this. Um, they wouldn't bow down to the idol, right? And so uh, they just, they know whose they are. Remember Daniel and the lion's den. You know, remember the attempted holocaust of the entire Jewish nation? It even became illegal to pray to God. I mean, it, it, it was like being, to be a believer, there was like being a journalist in Saudi Arabia. You know what I'm saying? It, it's in that dangerous spiritual darkness that every one of the people of God had to make, had to make a decision. Are we just going to blend into the culture and live like them, even when... It's not about life and joy and helping and caring and loving. Are we, are we just going to blend in and, and be godless and turn to idol? Are we just going to blend in and play it safe? Or are we going to live as the people of God because of whose we are? Are we going to have this identity and this mission as the people of God? And of course, there's, there, there are lots of examples, but let me just give you a man and then a woman who really lit up the place, okay? The man was Daniel. Daniel, watch this now, he had such credibility with his employers, the kings, that four successive administrations asked him to be on staff. I, I wrote down their names. King, uh, well, there's some words here. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius and Cyrus the Great. There, I didn't even need to find it. <laughs> but, but they all wanted Daniel to serve in their administrations. He must have just done such a good job. And yet what you'll find with Daniel is that when it came, because he got so many promotions, third ruler in the Babylonian Empire, Persian Empire of that day, and, 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 and yet he, when it came to a choice between his job and his God, he always chose faith in his God. That's how he got into the, the lion's den, right? Because he, he just would not, you know, he did not find his identity in his job, did he? 
He found his identity and who his God was. And when it came to a choice, he, he, he just, it, wasn't, it was a no-brainer. Someone wrote this. They said, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. The people of God are different. We, we bring health wherever we can. We light up the place. Now, likely the person who lit up the Babylonian Empire the most was a woman, and her name was Esther. Esther. When a devious Babylonian government leader initiated an insidious plan to exterminate an entire ethnic group, on a certain date, Esther had only so much time to work with, and she engineered a plan to do two things. Number one was to give her best shot at saving her own people, the Jewish nation in Babylon. The second was she risked her life doing it. Remember her famous words? She said, well, it may cost me my life. If I perish, I perish. I know whose I am. More than I'm a Babylonian, <laughs> I'm a child of God. And I'll do what he wants me to do. And, and you know, she goes to see the king without an appointment. That was a no-no. You did not do that. Even for the queen, you did not. That was, no, girlfriend, you do not do that. And yet she went in to see the king. And what was the king's response? Do you remember? He just was delighted. She must have really lit up the place. Because he, he was so delighted to see her. He says, Esther, what do you want? Whatever you want, just request it. I'll give it to you up to half the kingdom. And I empathize with the king because I don't know how many times in my life, in my marriage, my wife Esther has walked in, lit up the room, and asked for half of whatever I was eating. No, I don't. <laughs> no. Esther, I told him in the first service I wouldn't say that, but somehow I can't see my notes today, so sorry. <laughs> And Daniel and Esther were not the only ones. Do you know that it's just in that short 70 years, while they were in exile, that's where synagogues, you know Jewish synagogues around the world, that's where they got their start. That's where at least six books of the Bible were written in that short period of 70 years. Nehemiah had such cred with his boss, the king, that he gave him a leave of absence to go and start rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, these people just lit up the place during those years. And that's exactly what Jesus asks us to do between now and when we go home to be with him, is to light up the place. Let's, put it, let's hear it from Jesus' words. He says this. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you see it? They see what they do and it results in a turning to God. Now the first message of this series, we saw that first century Christians were people whose actions spoke so loud that people wanted to hear what they had to say. You know, and once they, once they heard from Jesus' teachings, and then Jesus died and rose again right before their eyes, they were so excited. They were unstoppable, just like their God was. And they went out. And, and you know, it's the same for us. 
You see, when we say in this series, oh God, in Toronto, in Canada, in our future, in our lifetime, do it again. We're not asking God to bring us back into a Christian Canada of the 1950s. We're not saying, God, help us do church the way we did it 20 years ago. We're saying, Jesus, help us to do church in a way where everyone loves you so much that they praise you and they reach out to people. That's what we're saying. That just he transforms our lives. So we're, we're, we, just, we just say, we're going to leave this world a better place than where we found it. And we're going to light up every person and every circumstance we encounter by God's grace. And then there's something else. And that is this. Live now. Live now. Like God will actually take you to his permanent residence. Now, now let, listen to Jeremiah. Let, let's go back there to those verses. One more time, we're going to look at Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, say it with me, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Say it with me. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which, say it, I carried you into exile. Well, watch this. Listen. As soon as I read, I will come to you. I will bring you back. I will gather you. As soon as I read those words from Jeremiah, the words of Jesus jumped right into my mind. These ones from when he said them to his first followers. And if I go and prepare a place for you, say it with me, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, the first century brothers and sisters that we had, they really thought Jesus just could come at any time and let's do all the good we can in this life. But, but, they, but they'd see, they've seen, they, they had seen Jesus do this right before their eyes. With their own eyes, they had watched the Son of God, come to us and enjoy good meals <laughs> with a lot of different people, banquets and wedding feasts and just good suppers. But they also, saw, they also had heard him turn down a Samaritan pizza with these words, I have food that you know nothing about. You see the physical and the spiritual right there. Jesus was as comfortable reaching out to a rich guy like Zacchaeus as he was to an outcast leper, both of whom society didn't want to have a whole lot to do with for very different reasons. Jesus saw beauty in flowers, birds, and grain fields, but he also saw beauty in a dirty, filthy, repentant, redeemable human. That's our Jesus. That's what they saw. And so they just went out and kept doing what Jesus was doing. In this series, I've twice quoted Rodney Stark, a sociologist who's sort of become the go-to authority as to why the first century church just exploded with such growth. And he called it a theology of love, remember? They, they, they love people. They love pagans. They love the Roman soldiers. They love poor outcasts. They love strangers. They even love their enemies, he said. And he documents it all. He says they were known for their care for others. And you know what? Ever since then, 
Across the centuries, throughout church history, the church has been at their best. Not when they've been off in a monastery somewhere. Not when they've just become mixed into the political situation of the day. They've all, the church has always been at their best and seen most people come to Christ when they have gone out there and cared so much for people that they started hospitals, orphanages, schools, helped people with their actual needs and told them they were valuable because Jesus gave their life for him. Just like we're doing with communities community connections and we're about to do through the global focus weekends and just like you do every day when you get out there in your workplace or where you study or in your neighborhoods and you light up the place they just knew that well when this life ends we're going to go to be with the Lord (laughs) it was like they thought it was a short trip I know that because I remember studying this listen to Aristides he was trying to explain to a friend, he called it the new religion. It's not a religion, but he called the new religion called Christianity. And, and one of his descriptions is this, when a, person, when a Christian dies. He says, if any righteous man from among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgivings as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. Isn't that amazing? Absent from the body is to be. Well, that's what they've been taught. So they just thought, well, it's if I die, I, I go to be with the Lord. You see, when someone asks me, should the church focus on the spiritual, the eternal souls of human beings and just focus on that? Or, or, or should we care about social justice issues and, and, and the physical needs of people? You know, I, I'll just respond this way. Usually it's in a, you know, a lobby or in a, I need to say something quickly in a short conversation. So I'll say, well, it's like you and me, if we were in an, uh, an airplane at 30,000 feet and the pilot came on the sound system and said, okay, we're going to have to lose the wing on the right or the wing on the left. Why am I saying that way? Because last night I said, do you want to lose the right wing or the left wing? And I thought, yeah, I'd like to lose both. Anyway, so, but would you want to lose the, the wing on the left or the, or the wing on the right? How many know you're going to have the, the same result, the same outcome? How many understand when it comes to caring for people here and helping people get there, how many know we do? What's my, one of my favorite words around here? We do? Esther, help me out. We do both. There we go. We do both. Not one or the other. We do both. Both are scriptural. It's the Christians who, over the ages who have known their identity as the people of God and known the mission that Jesus that gave them to do that do the most good. You know, every election we have those from our church family and I applaud them running for school boards and some for legislative uh, positions from time to time. I always pray, Lord, may they be Daniels and Esthers in those positions. Right on? God bless them. And whether you're planning your future in the arts or business, media, sports, education, entertainment, whatever your work or studies are, just remember whose you are and what your mission is. Whatever area you go in, go in there and light up the place. Right on? You know, some say, yeah, but pastor, isn't the world a sinking ship? And shouldn't we be doing... No, well, listen, listen, watch this now. If the world is a sinking ship, it's going to end someday. And Jesus is going to return. 
Well then, if you're on a sinking ship, what are you gonna do to help people? Are you going to go and take your turn at the pumps to pump water out so that the boat won't sink as rapidly? Or are you gonna help people get into lifeboats? What's my favorite word? You do both, both. Jesus asks us to do both. Both are saving lives. You are the salt of the earth. You're a preservative force that helps culture from decay. Be that salt, but also light up the way to the lifeboat. His name is Jesus. Do both, do both. You see, how many understand it's the people that are most heavenly minded that do the most earthly good? <laughs> now let's just uh, move towards our prayer time here because there are those that are watching online. Glad you're still tracking with us. And maybe you're going through your own personal exile experience. I, I, I trust you picked up on two words. One, one is identity, the other is mission. I, I wanna ask you, are, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? How, how many are here and you've entrusted your life to Jesus? Whose hands are you in then? How many know you're in Father God's hands, right? He's carrying you today. How many know he will not drop you? <laughs> He will carry you. Listen, if he got you to it, he'll get you through it. His promise to those in exile is still this. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So, so God's, if you're trusting in the Lord today, your life is in his hands. You can trust him to carry you through. And secondly, your, your, your mission, your mission. How many know we're just here on the planet for a short period of time? That's why we want to light up the place, leave it better than when we found it in our lifetimes. We want, to, we want to always know that we're going to be with the Lord, but we're on a mission. But if you're going through your own personal exile experience, I want you to know it is also temporary. <laughs> I love those words in the Bible. It says, it came to pass. How many are glad trials don't come to stay? <laughs> it came to pass. And, and, and you, you, just, you just, it's temporary. So whatever it is, you just shine for Jesus, knowing that the end is coming. And one day you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You just trust him until that day. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.